At daybreak, the council of the elders of the people, both the chief priests and the teachers of the law, met together, and Jesus was led before them. If you are the Messiah, they said, tell us. Jesus answered, If I tell you, you will not believe me, and if I asked you, you would not answer. But from now on, the Son of Man will be seated at the right hand of the mighty God. They all asked, Are you then the Son of God? He replied, You say that I am. Then they said, Why do we need any more testimony? We have heard it from his own lips. Then the whole assembly rose and led him off to Pilate. And they began to accuse him, saying, We have found this man subverting our nation. He opposes payment of taxes to Caesar and claims to be Messiah, a king. So Pilate asked Jesus, Are you the king of the Jews? You have said so, Jesus replied. Then Pilate announced to the chief priests and the crowd, I find no basis for a charge against this man. But they insisted. He stirs up the people all over Judea by his teaching. He started in Galilee and has come all the way here. On hearing this, Pilate asked if the man was a Galilean. When he learned that Jesus was under Herod's jurisdiction, he sent him to Herod, who was also in Jerusalem at that time. When Herod saw Jesus, he was greatly pleased, because for a long time he had been wanting to see him. From what he had heard about him, he hoped to see him perform a sign of some sort. He plied him with many questions, but Jesus gave him no answer. The chief priests and the teachers of the law were standing there vehemently accusing him. Then Herod and his soldiers ridiculed and mocked him. Dressing him in an elegant robe, they sent him back to Pilate. That day, Herod and Pilate became friends. Before this, they had been enemies. Pilate called together the chief priests, the rulers, and the people and said to them, You brought me this man as one who was inciting the people to rebellion. I have examined him in your presence and have found no basis for your charges against him. Neither is Herod, for he sent him back to us. As you can see, he has done nothing to deserve death. Therefore, I will punish him and then release him. But the whole crowd shouted, Away with this man! Release Barabbas to us! Barabbas had been thrown into prison for an insurrection in the city and for murder. Wanting to release Jesus... Pilate appealed to them again, but they kept shouting, Crucify him! Crucify him! For the third time, he spoke to them. Why? What crime has this man committed? I have found in him no grounds for the death penalty. Therefore, I will have him punished and then release him. But with loud shouts, they insistently demanded that he be crucified, and their shouts prevailed. So Pilate decided to grant their demand. He released the man who had been thrown into prison for insurrection and murder, the one they asked for, and surrendered Jesus to their will. As the soldiers led him away, they seized Simon from Cyrene, who was on his way in from the country, and put the cross on him and made him carry it behind Jesus. A large number of people followed him, including women who mourned and wailed for him. Jesus turned and said to them, Daughters of Jerusalem, do not weep for me, 
Weep for yourselves and for your children. For the time will come when you will say, Blessed are the childless women, the wombs that never bore and the breasts that never nursed. Then they will say to the mountains, Fall on us, and to the hills, Cover us. For if people do these things when the tree is green, what will happen when it is dry? Two other men, both criminals, were also led out with him to be executed. When they came to the place called the Skull, they crucified him there, along with the criminals, one on his right, the other on his left. Jesus said, Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they are doing. And they divided up his clothes by casting lots. The people stood watching, and the rulers even sneered at him. They said, He saved others. Let him save himself if he is God's Messiah, the Chosen One. The soldiers also came up and mocked him. They offered him wine vinegar and said, If you are the king of the Jews, save yourself. There was a written notice above him which read, This is the king of the Jews. One of the criminals who hung there hurled insults at him. Aren't you the Messiah? Save yourself and us. But the other criminal rebuked him. Don't you fear God, he said. Since you are under the same sentence, we are punished justly, for we are getting what our deeds deserve. But this man has done nothing wrong. Then he said, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. Jesus answered him, Truly I tell you, today you will be with me in paradise. It was now about noon, and darkness came over the whole land until three in the afternoon for the sun stopped shining. And the curtain of the temple was torn in two. Jesus called out with a loud voice, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. When he had said this, he breathed his last. The centurion, seeing what had happened, praised God and said, Surely this was a righteous man. When all the people who had gathered to witness this sight saw what took place, They beat their breasts and went away. But all those who knew him, including the women who had followed him from Galilee, stood at a distance watching these things. I was thinking this week about how many times over the years that I have spoken with people and sat with them and walked through... uh, the loss of someone late in life that they have spent a lifetime in love with. Uh, It's a loss that, you know, as I really think about it, as many times as I've sat with people who have lost a spouse late in life, I really don't understand what that's like. Uh, People have told me stories. I've heard them again and again. I've walked with them as they've learned to live life in that absence, with that absence. And I really do believe they have taught me a lot. I, I can sit with people in much better ways because of the things that I've been taught and the stories I've heard. But I know I still just don't fully understand. I don't think that that absence and that loss is something you can fully understand until you experience it. I've been married to my wife now for almost 44 years. And in 44 years, we have grown up together together. Our our lives have become so woven together, I don't know what it is to live life without her. 
that we have laughed together and cried together and fought together and celebrated together and uh, we have learned things together and held each other up when the other couldn't stand on their own. We've walked life in so many ways together. I really don't think I can imagine what it would be like to live life in her absence. I've had a little taste of things like that. I've experienced loss, but I do think that's just a different kind of loss. Uh, and those I talk to, I think, understand that. It is a different kind of loss. Now, my plan is that I'm going to go first, so I never actually have to experience it. Uh, and given the routines and habits that we both have around our health, I think there's, that's a pretty safe bet <laughs> that I will be the first one. But again, I, I really do mean it. I realize that is something I don't know how you understand unless you've experienced it. I was thinking about that this week because I was thinking this week about the fact that, you know, as I talk to you about remembering the cross and what Christ did for us on the cross, and Scripture calls us again and again to remember the cross, that symbol and what the cross means, all that Christ did for us there. Uh, we are to remember, you know, last week we remembered it as we celebrated these baptisms last week. We'll remember it later in this service as we celebrate communion. Again and again we're to remember. I just don't think we can even begin to understand uh, the price that, that Jesus paid on that cross and the agony that he experienced on that cross. I think we could only begin to scratch the surface of understanding that. But, but Scripture calls us to remember, to reflect on it, to gather together like we do tonight and to think about it. For most of us, when we think about the cross, our minds pretty quickly go to the physical suffering that Jesus experienced for us on the cross. And rightly so, because it was horrific physical suffering. We know that the cross was just one of the most horrible instruments of torture ever devised. It was devised by the Romans, really, because it was to be the death, the punishment for slaves, because really the slaves outnumbered the citizens, and they wanted a a form of punishment so terrifying that they would never even consider rebellion. Those who invented it, the Romans, they mandated that it not be used on their own citizens because it was so horrible. Couldn't imagine it be something that they would suffer no matter what the crime. It was horrendous physical suffering. And again, I'm not going to go into all those details. We've thought about them often, and we should think about them that Jesus was willing to submit to that death, to that kind of suffering. We also, our minds go to the relational betrayal that he experienced in suffering. The fact that those who he had loved so well and been so close to, that friends deserted him in that time. That he was, the people he was sacrificing his life for on that cross stood before him, many of them mocking him, were those who abused him. Uh, that he suffered this just uh, unbelievable mockery through the whole process of his uh, trials and then while hanging on the, in pain on that cross. And again, we think maybe we understand that a little, right? We've all experienced some ways unjust humiliation or mockery. We all know what it is in some way to be betrayed by someone that we had trusted. 
But again, I think we barely scratched the surface of understanding because we don't know what it is to be holy and perfect, to have loved perfectly, to be the majestic creator, and then to be treated with such unbelievable disrespect, something that is so far from anything that is deserved and should be. We just, we don't know that and what that is. But all of that, in some degree, we understand some physical suffering. And there are humans who have experienced physical suffering like that. They're a very small group. But there are those who have experienced that. The relational suffering, we know something of it. But I think the thing we just don't even begin to get at all is what it must have been like for Jesus in that moment to experience being forsaken by God the Father, to be abandoned for the only time in all of eternity, to have his Father's face turned away from him. You know, we think we understand that. We understand what it is to reach out to God and feel like he's not there, feel like he's abandoned us. But we've only felt that. We've never in reality experienced that. None of us have ever experienced that God is not there, that his eyes aren't on us, that he's not present. It's not our, we feel it, but it's not the reality. God is there. But somehow in that moment, Jesus experienced something that none of us have. Matthew 27, 45, those familiar words. From noon until three in the afternoon, darkness came over all the land. About three in the afternoon, Jesus cried out in a loud voice, Eli, Eli, lama sabachthani, which means, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And for three hours, darkness enveloped the land, and at the end, he expresses these words. This, this darkness that reflected God's judgment and wrath upon sin. Jesus carried on his shoulders. He became sin for us, Scripture tells us. Galatians 3.13, Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. God made him who had no sin to be sin for us. These words that Jesus spoke in that moment, they weren't the words of someone who, who didn't have faith in the Father. These were words spoken that began with, my God, my God. But these were the words of someone who truly experienced what it was to be alone in a way that we cannot even begin to touch. An aloneness that's beyond imagination. Because he was forsaken. The unity of the Trinity, I believe, remained unbroken. But in that moment, when Christ took upon himself the sins of the world, sins past, sins present, sins future, the sins of the world... He took upon himself. He became sin for us. And God poured out his wrath on his one and only son who stood there in our place and took the punishment that our sins deserved. In that unbelievable moment of God's wrath, in some way Jesus experienced truly what it was to be forsaken by God the Father and God the Holy Spirit. Again, something I think I can't begin to understand. When I think of the cross, I don't understand the suffering Jesus experienced. 
the price he paid, what he was willing to go through for us. I don't understand it fully. But I think Scripture calls us to remember and to reflect on and to think about it often. Because even in the minuscule way that I grasp that reality, even in the way that I, in my understanding, just scratch the surface of it, that is enough that I think would bring all of us, if we really look to the cross, to go to our knees and bow before him, to worship him, to confess our sins before him and humble ourselves before him, to, to praise him and adore him, that would be enough to say, Christ, we trust our lives with you. Even, even that little bit of understanding. So we need to reflect on the cross often. And, and I just want to really kind of summarize what I just said, but point back, why? Why reflect on the cross? Well, here are at least, I think, three reasons we ought to reflect upon the cross often. One is because when we really do reflect upon the cross and we look at what Jesus did for us in his death and his sacrifice for our sins, when we look at the love that was reflected on that cross, I think we will see someone who, who we will understand that he understands us. Anything we suffer and anything we bring to him, any betrayal we've experienced, any physical suffering we go through, any sense of being alone and abandoned, anything we go through, Hebrews 2 tells us that we have a high priest, a merciful and faithful high priest who understands us. When we come to him in prayer and bring our needs to him, we can be confident because of the cross that he understands. Second, the cross reminds us of just how ugly sin is. The sin truly, I just don't, you know, we, we talk about sin sometimes as if it's just a kind of a passing thing. But the cross makes us stop and remember the unbelievable price that was paid because of our sins and the cost of sin. How ugly sin must be. As I was thinking about this sermon this week, I came across a quote that I thought, oh, I'm going to use this because I love this quote. And I was reading through it a few times this week, and I thought, boy, that's really familiar. And then I went back and looked at some past sermons. I thought, that's because I used it Good Friday several years ago. Uh, but I didn't remember using it, so I'm figuring you guys probably don't remember it either. Uh, but it was a great quote. It's by John Owen, who's a 16th century pastor and theologian. So this is in 16th century English, so you're going to have to pay close attention. But great words. He says, To see a slave beaten and corrected, it argues a fault committed, but yet perhaps the demerit of it was not very great. In other words, he's saying someone might uh, punish, even abuse, a slave. And they might not really feel that that much. They might actually do that with ease because maybe they just don't feel much connection to that slave or really care about them that much. Because of that lack of care and connection, they might, they might punish with ease. But then he goes on and says, the correction of a son argues a great provocation. He says, if you're going to correct your son and punish your son, boy, there must be something that, that's really wrong. There must be a real sin there that motivates you to do that. But then he goes on and says, and, and that of an only son the greatest imaginable. 
Never was sin seen to be so abominably sinful and full of provocation than when the burden of it was upon the shoulders of the Son of God. God, having made his Son, the Son of his love, his only begotten, full of grace and truth, sinned for us to manifest his indignation against it. And how utterly impossible it is that he should let the sin go unpunished. He lays hands on him and spares him not. Boy, the cross reminds us sin is ugly beyond our imagination. And when we see that and face that, we are left realizing we can never resolve that on our own. We absolutely need our Savior. Finally, and the thing I think we often think of most when we see the cross, we're reminded of God's great love for us, that that he would send his son to suffer such an incredible um, agony on that cross to pay the price for our sins. What kind of love would motivate that? And I think it's appropriate when we see the cross, that's what we think about. Uh, This week, or not this week, a few weeks ago, I was having just a bad day. I was sitting in my office, it was a bad day, I was going through something difficult, sorting through something difficult. It was one of those days where just my frustration and kind of hurt over a situation started turning inward, started becoming kind of self-contempt in that moment. It was just a kind of a dark and ugly day. I was sitting in my office, and in, on the bulletin board beside my desk, I have some pictures of family members, and one of them is a picture of my mom. My mom passed away several years ago, and, um, and I honestly don't think about her that often. I mean, it's been several years, and honestly, she just doesn't come into my thoughts that often. But that day, I happened to look over at that picture and see her, and I just got thinking about her and sitting in my office thinking how fortunate I was to have a mom who loved me so well. I never remember a time in my life where I questioned my mother's love. This woman loved me well. Even as an adult, I can remember every time I came home, I expected her to be excited to see me, and she was. I knew she was always pulling for the best in me, always praying for me. I knew she loved deeply and loved well the people in my life who I loved because she loved them, but also because I loved them. She loved my wife well. She loved my children well. You know, I talked to a lot of people who have not experienced that. A lot of people have not known that kind of love from a mother or from a parent. Uh, sometimes because of the loss of a parent. Sometimes because of a parent who has simply chosen not to love as they should. And I was sitting there thinking, what a blessing it was that I've known that kind of love in my life. Uh, it it's changes you to know that kind of love. And then I went on with my day. I kind of moved on and went on doing the work I had to do. Later in that day, it, for some reason, it just kind of struck me. And I got thinking about it, and I thought, my day has changed. I'm not having those thoughts towards myself. I'm not struggling in the same way I was earlier. My day has changed today. The situation that I was struggling with hadn't changed But my experience of that day and my experience even of myself had changed. And as I reflected on it, it changed because I stopped and remembered how well I had been loved. Someone 
someone who knew all my faults that I failed with so many times that I even sinned against, who'd seen all my weirdness and knew all my strangeness, had loved me and loved me well. It changed the whole situation. It changed my whole experience. We're called to remember the cross again and again. To remember how deep is the love caused the Father to send his Son and how deep was Jesus Christ's love for us that he would suffer the agony that he did on that cross to take the penalty that is ours upon his own shoulders. We are loved. And it changes everything. Let's pray. God, we do thank you. Even though we don't fully understand, even though all that the sacrifices that you made by sending your son or the sacrifices you made on that cross for us, even though we only scratch the surface of understanding, we just thank you from deep within our hearts for what you've done for us. I pray, Lord, that we would live um, remembering the cross, that your love for us, your great sacrifice for us, uh, what you did to redeem us, would shape the way that we understand ourselves and the world around us and the way we live for you. And thank you. In your blessed name, amen.